Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey of the Ministry Collaborative. It's uh, my real pleasure today to be talking with Guy Sales. Guy and I had the privilege of working in neighboring churches uh, in Asheville, North Carolina for several years, and I've always esteemed him uh, in ministry and for all he's done. Guy, how you doing? I'm doing okay, Mark, and I'm glad to be with you. There's so much to talk about right now. I mean, we could fill a day with this. Um, one thing I'm noticing, particularly as, at least for now, the pandemic is lifting a bit and more options are being presented. I'm talking to a lot of pastors, and I know you do too, on what pastors and congregations should keep and maybe even strengthen, and what may need, if possible, to be put into the archives as far as their ministry ideas. How are you seeing that sorting? Well, I'm hearing people talk about, think about their ministries of Christian formation, their ministries of Christian education, not so much that they need to be discarded, of course, but they need to be thought back through. Because I think a question that occurs is what sustained us during these times apart? What texts, what uh, exemplars, what concepts sustained us when we weren't able to be together to be reminded as frequently? And whatever the answer to that question is, uh, we need to strengthen whatever it was that sustained people. And if we find that those ministries weren't as sustaining as we hoped, then it gives us an opportunity to rethink how they might be. And one example of that is, I'm wondering, I don't really know yet, but I'm wondering how equipped parents felt to be the primary faith teachers, not just school teachers during the week, but faith teachers of their children uh, without the close-up support of the church. So things like that. Boy, isn't that the truth? I'm seeing a lot of congregations, some of this is going on a couple of years ago, it's not brand new, but I think it's been accelerated, rethinking the whole idea of what Christian education is in a congregational context. Right. Are you seeing new models emerge? I don't know that we're to new models yet, but I'm seeing new questions that drive the models. And one of the questions is, what is it we're trying to produce? In other words, what's the telos of these ministries of Christian formation? And if the telos is good church members, that's not good enough. But if it is followers of Jesus who are becoming more like Jesus in order to make a difference in personal and social life, that's a better answer, and it will yield better church members as well. So I think we're rethinking what it is we're trying to do, who it is we're trying to be, and that will, I think, lead to new models that, well, maybe refreshed models that focus on praxis. You know, here's what we learn, here's what we do, here's what we learn from what we did that changes our learning, so here's what we do. And in the process, we become. So I think those questions are important. Yeah, I I have a lot of admiration for church leaders, both pastors and people serving on boards who are tackling this, because I always found it particularly in youth ministry, as well as Christian education, that the default was almost always, well, this is what I experienced that I liked. So why aren't you doing the same thing that I experienced 30 years ago? Right. Yeah. That's a hard mountain to climb. It is. Every once in a while, Christian Century runs a column, How My Mind Has Changed, which I think has always been an interesting 
reflection. You've been in ministry for quite a while in different sorts of roles. How has your mind changed just on the biggest things about ministry? How do you see things differently now than you did, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago? That's a great question. One of the things that has shifted is that I have become more aware of the importance of helping ourselves and helping our folks discern how the principalities and powers, the systems and institutions of our culture, but also of our churches, affect what we're able to be and do both individually and collectively. I don't know that I had a robust enough sense of institutional realities Mm -hmm. for good and for ill Mm -hmm. and what it is that drives them and the imperatives they have, the possibilities, the perils. So I think my mind is changing in the sense that we have to give more attention to that, not in the old sense of just administrative kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but what it is that drives institutional realities, both internally and externally. You know, this whole thing about systemic racism, for example, I don't know that our folks can get a helpful view of systemic racism until they give some reflection to systemic issues more generally, how it is systems work. Say a little bit more about that. I think that's a a fascinating comment about systems in general. What are you kind of putting your hand on when you say that? I think that institutions over time, systems over time, without anybody's intending it to be so, become committed to their own perpetuation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what perpetuates an institution is antithetical to why the institution was founded to begin with. And I think giving attention to that, always reforming, you know, always paying attention to what the system is becoming and some creative destruction or some creative elimination, you know, some going back to first principles, I think is important. And I think we see this pattern in the New Testament, Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, as well as in church history. We have to kind of go back and begin again often. That same thing is true in the culture. Governmental entities, for example, are often started, you know, to serve the people. And then they have an imperative of their own. And we need to revisit that from time to time. And they haven't always been created to serve all the people. Mm -hmm. And so to ask questions about those things. And systems tend toward hierarchy and hierarchies need to be flattened. And systems tend, I think, to target whoever the leader is and whoever the most vulnerable people are Mm -hmm. and target them for good or for ill. (laughs) And we need to pay more attention to those things. When I do a lot of presentations or interactions with church boards or just congregations, one of the things I almost always say is, please do not underestimate the power of the institutional suspicion of at least the youngest three generations. Right. And probably more, but at least the youngest three generations. Right. And people kind of nod benignly and like, sure. But I'm like, no, no, actually look at this because it's a big deal. I know in my denomination about the only people who still show up at the denominational periodic gatherings are the true believers, the groupies, which means the last group that will overturn or actually help renew are the people in the room. And that's not to disrespect them. I'm glad that they're invested in it. It used to be, I think, that people would hang in and go, okay, we got to change from the inside. Now the disinvestment of institutions is happening at an astonishingly rapid pace. And I think the people who are most likely to participate are the people whom the system serves best. Yes. And so you're worried about listen to those who may be less invested. It may be that it's not a compelling enough vision for them. It's not a nimble enough institution for them. One of the running themes of a lot of our podcasts uh, over the last year has been how politics used to be 
hopefully downstream of our faith. So our faith helped form our view of politics. It is now, of course, decidedly upstream from our faith. Right. What we're seeing a lot is that people's political template is going right into their congregation. I'm seeing the same thing. And for years, even before the 2016 presidential election and all the political upheaval we've experienced uh, since then, even before that, I was watching congregations sort themselves into blue and red. And I think that's just continued. Congregations are sorting themselves into blue and red, conservative and progressive or conservative and moderate because politics are driving people's uh, religious affiliations rather than the other way around. Just as I think we might not have given enough attention to how institutions and systems function, I don't know that we have given enough attention to helping people place their politics in a faith context. Mm. What is the role of politics in a person of faith? And I'm not sure that we have reflected enough on cultural engagement and politics as a part of cultural engagement, what the vocation of politics is. I think in many ways, we're back to first principles now, you know, when it comes to things like that. In my tradition, the Baptist tradition, we focused a lot on separation of church and state. Well, good. And religious liberty, great. We need to focus on those things because they're threatened from time to time. But we stopped short too often. And didn't go on to say, so what is the role of politics in a Christian life? And how does this fit our loyalty to Jesus? You know, I don't think I'm naive enough to believe that if Democrats were completely in charge, we'd have a society characterized by the Sermon on the Mount, or <laughs> that if Republicans were in charge, we'd have a society characterized by the Ten Commandments. You know, no political party is pure, but we need to figure out ways. How do we help people think about a politics that is not so distant from the way of Jesus. And I'm not sure we've given enough focus to that. That's incredibly helpful. And the question I was going to ask, but then you, you answered it was, what's our way into disrupting this pretty toxic cycle? It does occur to me as you're saying this, it took us a long time to get where we are. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a long time to grow out of it. And now's the time to start. Absolutely. We have a fresh start. I think one of the things that these apocalyptic times we've lived through is shown us that the way we've done things is broken in many ways. Not everything is, but many things are broken. And it gives us a chance to think about, well, what would they be like if they were whole? Hmm. What would it be like if they were healthy? And I think our the Christian's relationship to politics and a congregation's relationship is one of those things that's broken. Uh, Guy, what have you read recently that has helped you? It's focused more on sort of the evangelical part of the church, but I've been really fascinated by a book by the historian Dumay called Jesus and John Wayne. And it's about how toxic masculinity and racism and other realities have sort of taken the center stage in evangelicalism. And at least in the South where I am, even if you're not part of an explicitly evangelical church, you're influenced by it. Mm -hmm. That's been a fascinating thing to get some historical context for what's happened in our culture over the last 40, 50 years, really, because it's longstanding. And in many ways, what we've experienced the last few years is a culmination of those forces that have been in play for a long time. It's a fascinating book. Hmm. 
how do you see worship right now in the context of where we are as a church? And we've talked about a lot of things around that. We've talked about formation. We've talked about identity, vision. And I don't think worship is a strong enough vessel, or nor should it carry all of that. Right. But worship clearly coming out of the pandemic is something that has been disrupted. And now some people like Humpty Dumpty are trying to put it back together again, and others are springboarding to something else. How are you seeing that? Well, apart from issues of style, which you know are often debated depending on the congregation, uh, what I'm sensing is that there is a need for us to revisit what is central, the central themes of faith in the experience of worship. Central themes because people need to be recentered. So focusing again on those themes that matter most, but also the practices that matter most. You know, the lament and intercession, creation out of chaos coming home from exile, God bringing life out of death and love conquering fear, and nothing shall separate us from the love of God. I think we need to revisit those things with each other in the context of worship because we need renewal. And those great themes are sources of renewal for us. I think coming out of the pandemic, so many people in our society are hungry for those things that you just said. But I'm wondering if the church has not become a fairly unreliable delivery system for those. And people don't see the church as the place you get those hopeful and challenging messages. I think we've got our work cut out for us. But what a robust and life-giving list you just mentioned. Yeah, I do think we have some work to do to not make faith relevant, but to demonstrate its relevance. Yeah. You know, it is relevant. We, right. we can mumble and make it feel irrelevant. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the people who've been maybe tuning in online just to see what you're about, if they show up and the first thing they get is a sign up sheet right. for some infrastructure issue in the congregation, chances are they're not coming back. No. If they're offered, though, the fullness of the gospel, you know, right. nothing will separate you from the love of God then I think we've got something. Exactly. Yeah, I think if we get people back and the first thing we do is ask them for money or to serve on a committee, there are other <laughs> ways to do that. We have to pay attention to those things, but yeah. we can talk with the people who know those things matter. <laughs> uh, but what matters more is a full-throated, full-hearted declaration of what's at the core. I've been trying to convince people for the last year that committee meetings and handbells are the super spreaders <laughs> of COVID. I have not been able to make my case. So, yeah. uh, And for those of you in handbell choirs, the email to complain is Marthame Sanders. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about hope. Mm -hmm. Every day, it seems like the article about 30% more uh, overdose deaths this year than last. Mm -hmm. How do you see hope and what feeds it for you? Well, I, I named one of the things that feeds it, which is this conviction that a lot of terrible things happen, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Mm -hmm. John Claypool used to say that God's other name is surprise. <laughs> and I really do believe that, you know, that if we remain faithful, God will surprise us and meet us in places where we might not have expected God would meet us. And that gives me hope. Uh, you know, and, and Paul was very honest to say, hope that is seen is not hope. We venture toward it and hope to be met by it. It's coming to us from the future. And there are surprises. What scriptures have sustained you particularly in recent months? That text from Romans 8 that I mentioned, but also the text before that in Romans 8, where Paul says, we don't even know how to pray as we ought to pray. There is about us a certain kind of weakness and ignorance 
And I think we've all confronted in this last year and a half situations that we do not understand and do not know how to handle. And Paul says the spirit is at work within us saying and doing things we can't do for ourselves. Mm. And that has been a sustaining source for me, you know, that I don't know. And yet I'm inhabited by the one who does know. Mm. That's a hopeful thing, I think. Mystery is the great embarrassment to the modern mind, is my <laughs> all-time favorite Flannery O'Connor quote. I love Which that. I have thought a lot about this year because so much, you're exactly right. We're up against this sheer face of what we don't know. And all our technology is just not there. So, yeah. Guy, thank you so much uh, for your ministry, for this conversation, for forming a new cohort for the Ministry Collaborative in the Asheville area, and for your many gifts that you share so generously. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Mark. It's been great to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.